Would you remain standing and pray with me the Shema? We say the Shema together in worship because it's a prayer that Jesus would have prayed every day of his life, especially before the scriptures were proclaimed. So there's a little bit of Hebrew in there, but um, just hang in there with me. We can do it. Let's recite the Shema together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. You can have a seat. The scripture passage that I have for you this morning is from Luke's gospel. It's the end of the sermon on the plain. This is chapter six of Luke's gospel and verses 46 through 49. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These are the final words of the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Level Place in Luke's Gospel. It is recorded as a very short homily. It's a quarter of the length of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. It's preached by Jesus to a receptive crowd. Nobody is there to test him. Those who are listening to him teach are interested in discipleship, and they are interested in being healed. The message is only 29 verses in the sixth chapter of Luke. You could go home and read it this afternoon. You start in chapter 6 with verse 20. You go through verse 49. You've read the whole thing. The Sermon on the Plain begins with the blessings and the woes, like, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what the ancestors did to the false prophets. And then there's instruction, like love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, and do not judge lest you will be judged. And then the last half of the sermon forgoes instruction for word pictures. The last half of the sermon is a walk through an art gallery. There are four word pictures, four word pictures, one right after another, that leave a lasting impression. The first is the blind leading the blind. Beware of teachings that offer guidance but leave you in the ditch. It's a way to test the truth of teaching. The second word image is a plank in the eye. Don't try taking a speck out of the eye of another person. There's a plank in your own eye. Or beware the trap of criticism. None of us are equipped to be moral surgeons. 
That's a darn shame. I would have loved that job. In fact, I'm thinking about it as my Halloween costume tonight. I think I can wear my clerical robe with a surgical mask and knock on your door, trick or treat. That's scary because I'm there to pick, pick, pick. Ask Keith, I can do it. (laughs) None of us are equipped to be moral surgeons. We simply don't see clearly enough to get it right. And then there's an image of trees and fruit. Good trees, good fruit. Bad trees, bad fruit. Now, please keep in mind throughout the sermon on the plane, Jesus is talking about discipleship. He is not talking about personhood. He is not talking about who you are at the core of your being. That is not up for debate. You are good. Every single one of you, good, created in the image of God and declared good by a divine voice. But disciples pursue spiritual transformation. We pursue spiritual transformation to the point where our words and our actions reflect the sanctification that's going on inside of us. To the point where our words and actions reflect the goodness, the grace that's growing inside of us. Discipleship exposes how we live. Discipleship is exposed by how we live. What we say, what we do, how we treat the other images of God around us. The way Eugene Peterson rewrote this particular word picture in the message is this. The health of the apple tells the health of the tree. That's the truth about discipleship. The health of the fruit tells the health of the tree. And then finally, the word picture about building a house. Dig deep. Put the foundation on a rock. When the floods come, and the floods will come, it's not a matter of if, but when, the house will stand. Many of you know that I helped my oldest child move into an apartment in Philadelphia at the end of the summer. She has a beautiful view of the Schuylkill River because she's right next to the river. Her apartment building is right next to the Schuylkill River, just down from Boathouse Row. After enjoying the peaceful setting for about a month, the rain came hard and fast to Philadelphia one night. And the next morning, I was hearing from Claire that two floors of her parking garage were flooded underneath the apartment building. Luckily, her car was on the fourth floor. The elevators didn't work, and she was without power and without water pressure. Rain can damage things quickly. And Jesus and his followers knew the danger of a flood. I found out this week that Jerusalem and London both received the same amount of rain annually, which was a surprise to me. It's strange for me to imagine that those two places, Jerusalem and London, get the same amount of rain. If I go to London, I'm definitely packing my raincoat, right? But if I go to Jerusalem, 
I don't really think about taking an umbrella. Here's the difference. London has 300 rainy days a year. Jerusalem has 50. So Jerusalem gets high intensity rain in a short amount of time. And this causes runoffs from the mountains and the hills. And those runoffs sweep away everything in their path. A part of the high priest's prayer on the Day of Atonement in antiquity was this. And for the people who live on the Sharon Plain, the Sharon Plain was where the poor lived and houses that were built of mud and clay. So the high priest prayed, and for the people who lived in the Sharon Plain, may it be pleasing before you, Lord our God, that our homes not turn into our graves." People who followed Jesus knew what it was to lose everything in an instant because of a flood. And so do we. We've seen it happen. And if we are able, we do our best to prevent that devastation. Spiritually speaking, Jesus claims that we are able to prevent devastation. Troubles come to every life. Preacher Fred Craddock wrote, the faithful face more storms than anyone else. It's not storm prevention or storm protection even that we are after. Instead, as disciples, we are about preventing devastation. Perseverance. Jesus tells his followers that this endurance can be gained when we hear his words and put them into practice. When we hear his teaching and put his teaching into practice, Jesus says it's about hearing and doing. And he tells his followers, not everyone does this. Some, he says, call out, Lord, Lord, and do not do what he says. Now, to call Jesus Lord was a common early Christian confession of faith. It basically means I take my direction from this one, from the one that I call Lord. We still use the title when we're talking about our faith today. You probably heard me ask Evelyn's parents during the baptism, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and promise to serve him as your Lord? While the title is antiquated, I don't use it anywhere else in my world, in my life today. The meaning is valuable It means that Jesus is the source of direction for how I go about life. It means Jesus is the source for how I make decisions. About halfway through the Sermon on the Plain, there is a line that I think summarizes the theme of the whole thing. It's a thread that runs through those 29 verses. It's in verse 36 where Jesus says, Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Another way to translate that Greek word is to say compassionate. Imitate God and be truly compassionate. 
Eugene Peterson wrote this, live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, he wrote. You be kind. This is the key to taking direction from our Lord, Jesus the Christ. Be kind. Do the compassionate thing. Do mercy. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that the sermon on the plane walks us through an art gallery with a beautiful image of a tree and its fruit and an abstract of a plank in the eye, but it doesn't end in the museum. Instead, it dumps us out, it ushers us outside and leaves us on a construction site. Building houses, building our lives with the architect. Houses that withstand devastation. And every time we puzzle about the plan, what do we do next? Every time we don't know what to do, the master architect suggests, reinforce the framework that I gave you. Choose kindness, choose mercy, choose compassion. It's yours for the choosing. Recently, just this last week, my spiritual director, whose name is Janet Davis, she's also a writer, told me that she's got this theory about spiritual maturity, about transformation. She says her theory, and she's going to write about it, is that spiritual growth happens for those who practice three things. Curiosity. Delight and self-compassion. Curiosity, delight, self-compassion. Curiosity, I get. I mean, frankly, I ask good questions most of the time. <laughs> Curiosity, I get. Delight, Janet says, it'll show up for me when I learn to choose the easy way. I don't know. It's not that I like the hard way. It's just that I don't mind taking it when it's there. I don't. And self-compassion, well, this one, I'm afraid I'm at a bit of a loss. It seems indulgent, self-compassion, even a waste of my time. I said that to Janet. And so my very wise spiritual director gave me homework. <laughs> she said, there's this professor at the University of Texas named Kristen Neff. She has books on self-compassion. She even has a website. Dinah, use your superpower of curiosity and check it out. I'm sure she's on to something. The instruction of the master architect is mercy everywhere. Mercy for everyone. Even me. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord God, ruler of the universe, we seek to be hearers and doers of compassion. 
Would you teach us to understand your great love for us? Would you teach us to understand your delight in creation? Allow us opportunities to choose mercy and grant us the strength to follow through. Lord, create here among us a neighborhood of lives with strong foundations. We ask this in the name of the one who shows us the way, Jesus the Christ. Amen.